Right, so we're not done. You've got <laughs> a 90-year-old lady sat in yes. ambulatory care. Okay. Okay. So obviously you've doffed, mm-hmm. you've washed your hands thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the cards that you've got from the nursing staff with, with the details is uh, short of breath, uh, query anemia for transfusion. Mm-hmm. So just talk me through uh, your approach and what bits of information do you want to hear? Okay, so after I've appropriately donned what I should be wearing in the amber area, um, the, the key thing is to take a history and examine the patient yeah. because that's where you're going to get most of the information. Yeah. So about the shortness of breath, acute or chronic, yeah. and then any of the related symptoms, so cough, wheeze, weight loss, fever, appetite, night sweats, um, yeah. and then go through from a COVID perspective, which we off, we are trying to rule out in every patient, and then obviously other causes of shortness of breath. Yeah, okay. And then examination. Um, yeah, fine. As, you know. Yeah, okay. So history is chronic. So yeah. she has been feeling breathless, not quite right for about five months. Mm-hmm. Um, she strictly adhered to lockdown as well, um, mm-hmm. so hasn't seen anybody. But um, she's quite a sprightly 90-year-old and has mm-hmm. quite a good relationship with her GP. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they've actually been managing some virtual appointments, mm-hmm. uh, consultations, sorry, um, where the GP was just asking about her breathlessness, those kind of symptoms that you were alluding to. Mm-hmm. Um, she's had a couple of courses of antibiotics for and non-specific reasons, um, just in case this might have been a chest infection. I think mm-hmm. uh, from what we can gather, things were quite vague. She's just generally not been feeling quite right and uh, may have had a cough for a brief time. Has always been quite breathless. Um, and she's noticed some leg swelling as well, which the GP has been aware of uh, and has been treating with uh, two diuretics. Okay. I'll give you the past medical history as well. So she's got a history of angina, hypertension, aortic stenosis, uh, endometrial cancer, um, for which she had a hysterectomy in 2009, um, and a recent cardiology review, uh, which demonstrated a normal LV function. Her drugs are levothyroxine, GTN, which she hasn't been needing to use, uh, amlodipine, Alindroic acid, aspirin, bumetanoid, and spironolactone. Okay, oh, it's quite a heady combination. Yeah. And so, with the chronic breathlessness and some edema, mm. what kind of angle are you, you thinking at the moment? So, it could be, so I, when I've got patients like this, I like to think about it with organ systems. So, do we have a respiratory cause? Is there a mm-hmm. cardiac cause? Yeah. Um, is there a gastric cause? Renal yeah. cause? Um, or is it bone marrow failure? So um, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, she's short of breath. She's got ankle swelling. So you want to be look at her cardiac function. Is this mm-hmm. cardiac failure? You did yeah. mention recent cardiology suggested normal left ventricular function, but you go, you know, it doesn't mean that that's normal now. So it's worth thinking about that. Yep. Um, 
She's also got aortic stenosis. Um, so is aortic stenosis getting critical? Mm-hmm. Is she getting short of breath? Has she had any dizziness, any chest pain with that? Could that be the cause of the problem? Yeah. She's on, I think, a lot of medication that's drying her kidneys out. Spiro, mm-hmm. bumetanide. We know that alandronic acids can sometimes, if the EGFR is low, not be too kind to the kidneys. So actually, is she in renal failure um, that's causing some shortness of breath? Some yep. chronic anemia, is it erythropoietin yep. production in the kidney has been affected? So from the renal perspective. Yep. Okay. Um, Good. So I'll, I'll stop okay. you there. Okay, sorry. Yep. So whilst you've been dealing with the kidney failure patient, the very astute nursing staff in the ambulatory clinic have done her bloods. Okay. So her HB is 113. Okay, so that's okay. So, yep. Yeah. White cell count 7.8. Mm-hmm. Platelets 500. Mm-hmm. She is lymphopenic at 0.5. Yeah. CRP 60. Sodium 125. Potassium 4.5. And creatinine is normal at 60. Urea? Uh, urea with normal. Okay. And a glucose? Normal. Do you want to know the examination findings? Yes, please. I'm okay. thinking. Yeah. So, Chest completely clear. Mm-hmm. Um, she did have an ejection systolic murmur consistent with aortic stenosis radiating to the carotids, mm-hmm. uh, but entirely hemodynamically stable. So very good blood pressure. Uh, she had normal heart rate, no oxygen requirements, but a high respiratory rate. And what was the temperature? She's afret blood. High she respiratory. Had she had pitting edema to the sacrum. Okay. And she had ascites. Okay. So things that are going through my head now are kidney function is normal. So it's unlikely that this is a renal cause of the shortness of breath. Correct. Could still be cardiac with the aortic stenosis. Has that led to some? Uh, cardiac failure and then caused fluid accumulation potentially she's got a low sodium at 125 she's mm-hmm. on bumetanide we know that bumetanide loses sodium so is that secondary to the bumetanide yeah. potentially mm-hmm. need to look into that a little bit more um ascites and pit and edema what's the liver function like yeah good so Albumin is reduced at 29. Okay, so not too low. Yeah. ALP normal at 90. Okay. Globulin normal at 22. Yeah. Bilirubin normal. Okay. And her INR was 1.1. Okay. So other conditions that can cause ascites and edema are malignancies. So... We know that she had endometrial carcinoma in 2009. Yeah. So she had a hysterectomy. It'd be interesting to know whether the ovaries were removed at that time. Yeah. Or did she keep them and has she developed an ovarian malignancy that's led to ascites, which can happen occasionally? Mm-hmm. So I'd want to sort of go down that route. Um, to be fair, there's many things that could still be going on with this lady. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. So what are, you, what are you going to do 
So first of all, I need to write my problem list for this lady. And yeah. my problem list is shortness of breath for five months, generally feeling unwell, some leg swelling, ascites and edema. Yes. So I'd want to do an ECG to see if there's any abnormality on there. We know she's got aortic stenosis as she had a myocardial infarction. Could have done. Although she hasn't really had any chest pain. Um, yeah. Is she tachycardic on the ECG? Could she have a have an underlying pulmonary embolism? She's been short of breath for five months. Um, again, it's a possibility in, in it. And most patients, to be honest, if they haven't been as mobile, and we know that patients with angina, heart failure, atrial fibrillation, I'll increase risk of PE. Yeah. Um, I do some more blood tests. I've done my full blood count using these LFTs. Um, we could do a BMP. So yeah. to identify if there's been any stretch in yeah. the myocardium that would indicate cardiac failure. Yeah. Okay. Um, investigations, chest X-ray we've done. Yeah, normal. Uh, we could do an abdominal ultrasound to look at the ascites. Yeah, okay. We could take some fluid out. If yeah. there's a lot of ascites, we could do an acidic tap, looking for yeah. infection and looking for malignancy. Yeah. And you may want to consider doing a CT scan yeah. of the uh, chest, abdomen and pelvis because of the shortness of breath. Yeah. The abdominal and would you do that swelling. before, would you do that before or after taking some fluid off? It depends how long it's going to take me to get a CT scan. Yeah. Okay. Um, so um, if I've, I can do an ultrasound guided acidic tap there and yeah. then in A&E, so I'd always, sorry, in the ambulatory care unit, whereas yeah. I may have to wait a little while to do the scan. So I'd probably do that first, to be honest. Yeah. Good. All right. I'll stop you there. So you've got a normal INR, so yes. you can actually proceed straight away with doing uh, an ultrasound guided tap or drain. Mm-hmm. Um, so... That's exactly what I did. My my thought process was, this is a lady who's been struggling for five months. Um, my initial reactions were quite negative because I was thinking, of course, this lady doesn't need a transfusion. <laughs> why, why has she been sent here with a normal haemoglobin? Um, but actually, I uh, was quite concerned by the ascites. Mm. Um, and actually, this is the downfall of, virtual clinics or consultations is that you are only going on what the patient is telling you you have no capacity to examine the patient properly Um, so she had pity edema to her sacrum and her ascites was actually very tense Um, she was a small uh, lady in terms of her height Um, but actually when you removed her clothes you could see that her abdomen was severely distended um, and you didn't even need to do, you know, the shifting dullness test to tell that this was ascites. Um, so I wanted to drain this fluid immediately. Um, so did the ultrasound, um, large amounts of fluid, uh, potter, uh, the nanocatheter in. Uh, interestingly, though, and I'm not an expert at looking at abdominal ultrasounds, far from it. I can identify fluid and that's about it. But I saw some very profound, almost enhancing like lesions, even though this is just a, you know, an ultrasound scan uh, in her abdomen. Oh. Um, and so 
the suspicion of malignancy and as you said the history of endometrial cancer is this a recurrence of you know some form of uh ovarian cancer if, if they weren't removed mm. um how much liters how many liters do you think were removed uh in your uh, experience what's what's the most amount of acidic fluid you've removed from memory it's about nine ten liters so quite yeah. a lot yeah and is, is that in the context of alcoholic liver disease it is yeah. yes um so given what i had found uh, on my very basic scan mm -hmm. uh her normal liver function um in terms of synthetic liver function and a lack of an alcohol history yeah um i was quite convinced that this was not due to liver failure and mm -hmm. that this is more due to malignancy um, so we actually ended up draining a total of 11 litres um, during her stay. Not obviously, you know, just the one going by the bedside, but in the, the time that she had the drain in. And, and now, trust, we, we only leave acidic drains in for um, sort of around about six hours. Okay. Um, I didn't uh, give any uh, albumin solution uh, to counteract the, the sort of the hydrostatic effects that you can normally get with alcoholic liver disease. So, and I'll, I'll come to this later. Okay. Um, there's, well, actually, I don't need to, it's very simple. There's no evidence that human albumin solution uh, has any positive benefits in people with malignant ascites. Mm -hmm. It does in those people who have uh, alcoholic liver disease and ascites developing from portal hypertension. Yeah. Um, but actually there's no evidence in malignant ascites. And actually there's, there's not really been any robust randomized clinical trials in using that uh, in okay. those kind of people mm -hmm. um, and it's a it's an interesting area because normally that's kind of what we would do particularly in an ambulatory care setting um, where it's predominantly nurse-led or, or a sole clinician-led and um, we normally give albumin solution to prevent uh, the effects of you know hypotension if you're removing too too much fluid in one go because of the oncotic effects yes um, but for malignant ascites i'm happy to leave it on free drainage yeah. yeah um she went on to have a ct scan um after the fluid had drained and uh, the only reason i was asking about whether you had drained the fluid first was just anecdotally i've had better results and better interpretation of scans once fluid has been removed mm -hmm. um okay. particularly with plural infusions but also acidic fluid because it just means that you see your organs uh, in, a, in a much better light um, than if it was compressed by um, significant amounts of fluid. Okay. Um, and sadly, the CT scan confirmed um, what we were suspecting in that. Uh, there was extensive peritoneal thickening oh, um, with nodularity and a bulky mental cake. And later on in, in the admission, the fluid that we had sent for cytology uh, came back positive for a type of adenocarcinoma. Um, and the oncologist thought this was in fitting with a primary peritoneal disease. Gosh. Um, so it's quite a sad outcome, mm, actually. Absolutely. And, um, I remember this one sticking out mm. uh, because she was a lady who had clearly been struggling on her own for a few months, um, had seen a cardiology just before lockdown who had actually said her cardiac function was normal. Mm. But had acknowledged that she had pitting edema, so carrying on with some diuretic therapy was 
reasonable, you could argue. Um, and the GP had been seeing from a breathlessness point of view, but had treated for chest infections, uh, monitoring her diuretic therapy, um, and was also worrying about anemia. But actually, I think that pitting edema that she had at the start of lockdown was actually the start of um, her showing signs of this peritoneal malignancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just my learning from that is actually, again, our cognitive biases as clinicians you, you're faced with someone elderly, you're told she has aortic stenosis, you automatically think those signs that I gave you at the start are going to be due mm. to a cardiac cause. But actually that bit in her past medical history, which was important, was the endometrial cancer, um, uh, you know, albeit treated with a hysterectomy, but she presented with an abdominal malignancy. Um, so that's the case. Um, just done a little bit of reading to pick up out some more um, broad learning. Um, why does malignant ascites develop? Um, so it's in a way kind of similar to alcoholic liver disease in that um, you have increased vascular permeability. Um, however, cancer tumors in particular produce more fluid. And there can also be a blockage of lymphatic channels if it's a metastatic disease. Um, if you had liver metastasis, which she does not have, um, you can also get compression of portal veins, which can actually inadvertently lead to portal hypertension. And that can sometimes cause the mixed picture where you're not entirely sure whether it's due to liver disease per se or just the yeah. malignant process. Um, if her liver function was abnormal, it would be important to do, you know, the alcoholic liver disease screen, um, think about hepatocellular carcinoma, uh, hep C and hep B. Um, as, of, as we said, there's no indication for colloid replacement when you're taking off ascites um, from a malignant cause. Um, giving albumin infusion is not simple. It does need monitoring by the nurse and it can actually increase your time in hospital. Um, you know, this lady is going to be coming in again for another abdominal paracentesis. We want to do it as quickly as possible and limit her time in hospital where she'll, you know, she's at risk of everything else in the environment. Mm. Um, the only thing to be aware of, though, is with someone with advanced peritoneal disease, uh, they will develop further deposits that may adhere to previous successful sites for where you've put your needle. Um, and so actually... The long-term plan for her is not to keep bringing her back to drain off fluid. Um, she's probably best served by having a permanent abdominal drain. Yeah, okay. Um, in malignant ascites, diuretics are not thought to be useful uh, in the trials that have been done. Um, and if you've been told that a periton, periton, peritoneovenous shunt could be attempted, <laughs> don't do it. Uh, it's not shown to reliably give any symptomatic benefit to people with uh, peritoneal malignancy and the morbidity and mortality is high with these procedures. Right, so a lot to take in. Any questions? Yes. No, um, what you did then beautifully was um, recreate a typical day or a shift so um, I have to say the last few weeks at work have been really challenging. And because of, like you highlighted, people haven't been coming into hospital 
and then all of a sudden lockdown has slowly sort of reduced and we've been so busy and we're seeing a lot of patients who have been at home for a long time and coming very very unwell. I'm also seeing a lot more surgical complaints um, than, than before. Um, again we highlighted the Covid risk and being asked to make a decision whether the patient has Covid or not. Um, yeah I think it's just this is what we do quite yeah. frequently isn't it is, is this triaging of patients really I mean last Friday I don't even know how many patients I saw by the end of the day but it was it's very difficult to make decisions towards the end of the day yeah. you get fatigued so it's so yeah. difficult um and I, and I think I, yeah yeah sorry go on I was just going to say I think it's really important that we recognize that in ourselves and really focus on our well-being at the moment we've all been through a very difficult time not been taking well taking any annual leave there's nowhere to escape to. And I think when you do get to a stage of decision fatigue, exhaustion, maybe even burnout, it's recognising that and taking some time away. Yeah. And I think just to, to, to add to that, because I know you're experiencing the same thing, there's, there's so much focus on COVID um, yes. in terms of resource, in terms of pathways, staffing, who gets what blood tests, who gets what imaging. You know, it is very easy yeah. to get a CT scan a chest now to rule out COVID yes. and yet yeah. when I you know I've been on call in the red zone uh, for the last however many months um, yeah. and the things that are hitting me is not the COVID patients it's patients like this yes um, with their you know late presenting things that yeah. maybe don't have that luxury of all the resources they're the ones that are kind of on the periphery of the medical tape um, but actually they're the yeah. ones with the most or equally profound outcomes um, and I hope that yes there are some good things service-wise that are coming out of this pandemic in terms of virtual consultations etc um, but as we've seen with both these cases um, you can't and I, I hate to repeat what we say on every single podcast <laughs> but you, you can't beat actually seeing someone in person and no. examining them and exposing them properly yeah, yeah 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 okay all right. I've learned lots of, yeah, it's been really, two really good learning cases. Thank you so much. No problem. My pleasure. I, I do feel like it's my day off today. I do feel like I'm doing a day's work. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much, you say. No problem. Um, and if anybody has any comments or wants to get in touch, please email at podcasts at ozzyhumanthan.ac.uk or you can visit me at Bridge. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. Hemophagocytic lymphangiohistiocytosis. Right. <laughs>